And welcome to the Dexter Screaming Podcast. Oh. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Looks like it's just me around. All this stuff. Man. This place is a mess. What happened? That's what I get for leaving the door open. Well, hey, it's just me again. It looks like it's just me, Randy. So, welcome. I uh, guess I've got a little bit of a mess here to clean up with, I guess. Oh, man, what happened? Yeah, well, it looks like that Warduke fella came by, and boy, did he leave a mess. And just beer cans, empty tankards. <sighs> well, anyway, I uh, guess we'll uh, clean up and... Uh, See what he's talking about, huh? You know, somebody's been through my solo book collection, my Lone Wolf's all over here, and some other books too. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like he was talking about solo gaming, and uh, well, since it's just me, I guess I'll take my turn at it. Uh, when I gather, it looks like he just went for a larger, broader topic, um, just kind of shooting from the hip. I guess that's what Warduke does, but uh, yeah, uh, solo gaming. Yeah, we we've been talking about it for a while, uh, both me and Mike. We talked about, uh, uh, especially with Tunnels and Trolls, you start talking about Buffalo Castle and uh, many of the supplements like Naked Doom. There were a great number of uh, modules that were published, and they were pretty, pretty short uh, things you could do in about a couple hours and roll up a character and have yourself a good old time. Um, besides the obvious jokes of playing with yourself, a lot of times uh, when a game gets canceled, you find yourself pretty much on your lonesome. Solo gaming was a good way to get your fix, especially before a lot of computer games came in. And we're going to be talking about that, I guess. Uh, might as well just uh, throw right in. Delving right into it head first. I uh, also want to, before we really get in there, I guess I should preface it with a little bit that we will be getting back to normal next week. Mike's on the mend. He got a little bit of uh, the dose of uh, COVID. And uh, while he's doing just fine, uh, he's still uh, self-isolating. He, uh, Talked to him earlier this week, and he spoke about having a little bit of the COVID brain. So we'll take it easy on him next week. So as he's on the mend, he should be out of it, uh, I think, in just in a few uh, days. And so we'll be back to our normal schedule. And then we'll be picking up with the Meta of TSR. So that'll be next week's episode. Um, we had a lot of uh, stuff to cover with that. And so hopefully that will be something we can just dive right into and just tear it up back into our normal two-person format. So, uh, while I get you... What? My phone's blowing up. Who's this? Oh, it's Jason. All right, I'm going to take this call, and I'll be right back. Jason's calling, so let's listen in. Hey, really enjoyed your podcast on solo games, and just want to say that, yeah, I spent many many an hour as a solo gamer as a kid doing a lot of the things you talked about, the Tunnels and Trolls games, the other series, you, you know, Iron Crown Enterprises put out a series of books for MERP, for Middle-Earth Role-Playing. 
There's a really simplified version of Middle Earth role playing, and there are a series of those books that I played, and they, there there were a bunch of them out there, but lots and lots of fun. Really enjoyed them, and of course, the other most maybe the 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 one most gamers of our age have experienced were the you know in, in the Beck Me in the Menser Basic set in the Player's Book we had the really short learning scenario there where you know we, we first meet a fair cleric who's taken from us too soon take care talk to you soon all right well hey thanks a lot jason yeah thanks for your insights yeah i think he neglected to mention uh, token quest that was the uh, middle earth role-playing books by iron crown enterprises but i'll pick it up from there but you bring up a really good point that uh, i think that Maybe Warduke touched on, but I'm not entirely sure. It's kind of hard to hear. He's having a helmet problem. Um, but uh, also apparently thirsty. All these beer cans. All my beer's been drank up. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, the early introduction to role-playing games. Uh, the... You mentioned the Metzner set, but uh, I, Star Frontiers, when we were talking about that, with the uh, Alpha Dawn had a solo adventure and a, uh, the Marvel superheroes role playing game. Uh, TSR wasn't alone in that. Uh, a lot of others would uh, had did it before, obviously, Tunnels and Trolls, but a few others had tried to do the pick your own path sort of way to teach you with some dice mechanics and the basics of the game so you can kind of self learn. I think that was very elementary and a lot of early role-playing games got into there, but it still continues on to this day with like the Call of Cthulhu starter set, Alone Against the Fire, and the RuneQuest starter set have uh, introductory solo games that not only uh, just teach you the mechanics, but set you in there. But yeah, I agree. Uh, Eileen the Cleric, uh, maybe she was taken away from us a little too early, but damn that Bargo. I remember it well. But talking about some of the other uh, fighting fantasy, I think, is important. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. I guess uh, in fighting fantasy, everybody uh, is pretty familiar with the Warlock of Firetop Mountain. Ian Livingstone, in 1982, he put that out there. Followed it up with, like, the City of Thieves, Death Trap Dungeon, Forest of Doom, Caverns of the Snow Witch. And it really touched off a whole genre of solo gaming adventure fighting fantasies it would be called and that was a big thing warlock magazine uh came out about uh, 1984 and uh games workshop uh i think underwrote it for a while but i believe that somebody else was running it. i'm not sure was it i might be confusing it with imagine magazine but you know, this was a, a big thing with people that uh, each issue featured a new solo adventure and talked about other uh, solo adventure and fighting fantasy genres where you would create a character with dice, uh, equip them with a uh, modicum of uh, gear, and then start out on your quest. And mostly there were one shots. They were like one and done. You did this. Maybe you could transfer your character. That was a, a continuity thing. And there was a lot of uh, mini adventures that were featured in here. I collected a few of them, although preferentially, but I, that time I was playing with a group and I guess I was blessed by the fact that I've never really had a long gaming experience without a players, a group of players to DM for or game with. So, but it is worth mentioning that, you know, 
it spawned, it was more popular perhaps in England. I think the remoteness and some of the situations of finding other gamers, especially in the early 80s, was a monumental task to get a group and find a regular game to join with. So it was a big thing. And uh, I mentioned that uh, Warduke talked about Lone Wolf. Yeah, the books are laid out here. So Lone Wolf was like a, a, a really big thing because you transferred from one character, uh, from one adventure, you transitioned and sort of leveled up your character to the next, getting more gear and better items to face more difficult challenges. But it was an overarching storyline story and it was rather engaging. And a lot of people uh, got into it. Mongoose Games would later uh, publish the game book uh, source material for a role-playing campaign. So where, you know, you were all Kai Lords or various incarnations of them. And the Kai Lords were kind of like Ranger Lords that uh, they kind of kept the peace and held back the darkness. And so you bought, you know, the typical allotment of opponents, goblins and orcs and other such nasties. Plus a lot of new things uh, that were interesting and diverse. So it was just natural that people would want to put that into a role-playing game. But I think he pretty well touched on that. And one of my personal favorites uh, is Steve Jackson's Sorcery, which was a four-part adventure series, uh, which, again, just like the uh, Lone Wolf series, not to be confused with Lone Wolf and Cub. Lone Wolf uh, lets you transition your character from one adventure to the next. Ostentatiously, uh, you know, you could join uh, mid-stride, uh, you just pick up any of the Lone Wolf books and start playing. But Sorcerer is meant to be played in its four-book format. And one of the big things was is that as it uh, some spells like called Zap or Hot, which was a fireball, um, they gave you a small selection of three-letter words to choose from. And you were encouraged to choose these without consulting the spell listings. So you would have to have those memorized personally to cast them. And uh, if you didn't, then, you know, obviously if you don't know what it does, you were kind of uh, penalized for it. That was your range of spells. You know, some of them like a gob required goblin tea, so you needed spell components for that to cast it. But uh, you could choose to be a wizard or a warrior, and uh, you got to choose the ability to call in your patron goddess, Libra, once per adventure. Um the goddess could perform a range of services, but mostly restored lost uh, skill, luck, stamina points, or cured a curse, or provided an automatic escape from that situation if you hadn't used it. So again, it was kind of the honor system. And that's a big thing with these games is that they use dice, but they often had a mechanic where you could just consult a page and it would have like a little dice symbol on the side if you were without them. But yeah, you would sit there... Uh, and just roll out uh, the uh, combat, and then when you were done, uh, record any uh, loot or uh, injuries, or if you s didn't survive, you know, you create again. And that was a big thing I think Warduke was touching on with a meta arc was you had to really have a sense of the spirit of adventure. You had to be have a kind of a gamesmanship. And there's a certain thing that comes across quite often with people who played and enjoyed these a lot, was how many times did you just ignore a fatality or a bad result and just go back and choose another path? And some people get really 
kind of feisty about that, saying that if you did that, that you were cheating yourself. And yeah, I, I can understand that, obviously. But uh, another thing I think is worth noting is that you would just go back and repeat the same sort of steps and uh, arrive to that situation and obviously choose another one. So kind of the idea is, is that you get one good shot. And if you lose, then, you know, I guess the correct way to play, if you were looking at this from a strictly gamesmanship sort of perspective, that if you died, then, yeah, that adventure is over and you don't play it anymore. Which, you know, hey, nobody wants to just uh, waste money. And, and, you know, a bad die roll can spell a certain doom, and that's what you're in for. But, you know, you can always create another character and join up. But with a traditional tabletop group, uh, the story continues on without you. And until your new character is either rolled up, created, or ready to be inserted in the campaign or the adventure, uh, you know, there's still play going on. Where with the solo quests, Everything comes to a screeching halt. But get to uh, Jason's point here. Uh, Token Quest was our Iron Crown Enterprises. Um, they had, a, like you said, they had several of them. I remember having Legend of Weathertop and uh, Search for the Palantir, which was uh, one I picked up later. But there were many others. Rescue in Mirkwood uh, was one of them I remember, recall. But uh, there's Night of the Nazgul, Legend of Weathertop, uh, Treason at Helm's Deep, Spy and Isengard, Murder at Ministereth, Mines of Moria. And that was about it. But yeah, those were really well packed because, again, they were working off of the rich environment of the Tolkien universe. And that's a big draw. But uh, they never seem really to hit hard. Uh, ones that of these types of adventures, MERP was, yeah, it was a dumbed down system if you want to, or stripped down if you want to be more polite. But uh, MERP was kind of one of those systems where, yeah, it was already uh role master light. And uh, most people remember the uh, crit charts, which does seem to be a bit incongruous with Token's narrative, but that's a conversation for another time. I would more or less uh, put it as it was made to be playable quickly and easily, and it was fun. Um, TSR got into it. Uh, obviously, Everly Reapers, the Pick Your Own Path, the uh, Endless Quest Adventures. And uh, I have a collection of the early ones here. Uh, see, uh, Dungeon of Dread, Curse of the Rainbow Dragons, um, Return of Brookmere, Revolt of the Dwarves. In other words, they even had a top secret in Star Frontiers. Uh, pick your own path. But these were pretty much, <coughs> pardon me, these were uh, well illustrated and they were fun to play, but they didn't require any dice. And basically, if you made a bad move and ended up bad, it's oh well, so what? You know, just start over. Um, they had a lot of uh, replay value, which I would submit that all of these do. Um, getting back to one of my, the earlier topic about what you should you do if you just die in one of these game books and set it aside. I come across an interesting thing in one of the Warlock magazines where they said that uh, if you failed, rather than just pick it back up again, set it aside and have a period of mourning, like three, maybe four weeks, and then try it again. Um, that was one thing that they said. It's like, you know, set a kind of moratorium and... Uh, let your character rest in peace. That's that's an interesting thing. And then, uh, you know, collect it, have a graveyard uh, populated by your player characters. 
that's kind of a fun way of looking at it. And uh, with the AD&D solo adventure books, though, they did take it. A, a, they did uh, take a full-on approach. Uh, again, a stripped-down version or dumbed-down, whichever one you like better, of solo game books that they put out. Um, these involve rolling uh, characters and creating them. They usually gave you a uh, option to play. This is what you're playing. They had a little character right in the, as a bookmark that you could put in there with everything provided, and then you would just start rolling. So sometimes you'd be playing a wizard, sometimes play a warrior. A couple of them let you create a few from a limited option. So, you know, you could be a ranger one day and then the next game book be a magic user. And those played out pretty much as you would think. Uh, you had a selection of spells and uh, abilities and options uh, peculiar to that character. So it was pretty much a, it was a D&D solo adventure. And also a mention to some of the dungeon magazines that had solo adventures in them. You know, go here, pick this page. But AD&D solo adventure books uh, are the adventure games. They kind of get a little bit of a pass because I think that TSR at its time, that was, uh, they were hitting the end run of first edition and, you know, they were trying to make the best of what was out there in the markets. And I don't think that there was any way to, uh, for them to avoid the obvious that, hey, these were successful and they wanted to get on it. And let's talk about one of the hidden gems there. Uh, Joe Deaver also did a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, highway to hell is one I have. I don't know what the uh, one right off the top of my head is, uh, what the, uh, these were. But they were still the same way as Lone Wolf. You were an apocalyptic survivor, uh, survivor in a post-apocalyptic world, trying to make your way with your vehicle and other items that you would scavenge and, and acquire and get. So those were uh, pretty popular. And also, uh, Ian Livingston did uh, Highway of Death and a couple others that were outside of the sword and sorcery genre. But uh, another one that was uh, kind of popular, uh, Wizards, Warriors, and You, where you would play either the wizard or the warrior. And that was a pretty fun series. There was quite a few of them. They made uh, made the usual rounds. Uh, Oh, in bookstores and other places where you could find most of your adventure gaming. These were fun little ones to play. And they were pretty much, uh, yeah, dice generated, but, um, you know, also your options and your abilities were factored in on your choices. So there was never a wrong character to play, but there was always a right decision to make or a right play to make at the right time where the warrior had more martial options was easily, was Easily able to overcome adversaries. Um, his lack of magic did stop him, but, you know, grit and determination will see us through anything, I guess. And the wizard, you know, well, not a slouch in fighting, was uh, relied heavily on magic to solve problems. So, hey, uh, good on that one. If you find any of those, those are fun ones to pick up. I guess uh, now we're talking about the moldy oldie stuff. Uh, let's get out of that and talk about how uh, solo gaming kind of moved on. Um, as the fighting fantasy died out, computer games took up a lot of that slack. And, you know, now you had a fully uh, immersive environment, but early adventures like Temple of Apshai, uh, the Wizardry series, Bard's Tale, they allowed you more or less to create a party and go through it, but there were a few solo ones. Uh, Zork. Oh, geez, what's... Uh, I know Mist was kind of more like point and click and wonder, but a lot of the text-based adventures, uh, like Thy Dungeon Man, 
in Vampire Castle. These were ones where it was uh, choices and items, and I, I kind of go with strong bad on this one. Um, your main adversary was the laziness of the programmer. That was one of your biggest obstacles to overcome, is right out the gate, they're going to throw that at you. That, yeah, if you don't type in the correct response, you're not going to get the item. And you have to sometimes, you know, how well the programmer uh, made the line entries into the code would determine your amount of success and frustration level. That was your basic uh, thing you were fighting against, just besides just the scenario itself. But some of those got quite complex. You know, disc four of 12 from StrongBed. Go look it up. And uh, while we're on computer games, uh, obviously, you know, if you have to play with yourself, well, playing with a computer is probably pretty fun. Um, a lot of uh, early of the Ultima games started to really put you in the, uh, as a solo character, could just do anything. Uh, anything you started getting good at, you got better at it. And of course, we all know where that ended up with, Skyrim. And hey, I love Skyrim. So the Oblivion series, the Elder Scrolls, all good stuff. Where pretty much, you know, that sets the parameter for, you know, basically it's you versus the world. What do you want to do? How do you want to make your character? And, uh, yeah, it would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, some other uh, solo modules. We talked a little bit about Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest, but there was uh, some solo quest stuff from RuneQuest as well. Scorpion Vale and uh, a few other uh, slim folios that were... Uh, Pretty much module size, you know, you could run your character through it and with RuneQuest or later Call of Cthulhu started getting on board with that, of course. <clears throat> Solo gaming with Call of Cthulhu, uh, well, existentialistic horror doesn't be, isn't represented with the, without the fact that you just die, you just die. Um, you're just waiting for it and the inevitable to happen in that. But yeah, there's a lot of fun that can be had with those and, uh, yeah, I almost skip past them. I think he may have mentioned them too, but not sure. But uh, I did talk to uh, Pat Galligan, and uh, he mentioned to me something I kind of forgot about. And I don't think Warduke was thinking either when you talk about computer games as a solo gaming environment. The DVD Pick Your Own Path, where they would have the CGI illustrated and animated uh, scenario. You'd watch it, and then you know you'd go to a certain path, and there would be a, kind of a narrative and a, numerous animations. Like you're almost watching a story, but you get to determine how it unfolds. And one of those that I had uh, fun with was the Scourge of Worlds. And uh, if you haven't heard about that, that's a Dungeon Dragons adventure back when uh, three was a thing, and um, it was by Rhino uh, Video. Yeah, Rhino Video. They put that out and. Uh, the Scourge of Worlds was, you met a cleric who was trying to get rid of this artifact, and they needed the player's help, and you're watching through the eyes primarily of Lita, the iconic rogue of 3rd edition fame, Regdar the fighter, and Milali the elven wizard. And each one of those characters played a part, but uh, Regdar was also, he um, seemed to focus, uh, drift between Lita's point of view and Regdar's. Where Millie was kind of like, ah, you know, when they need magic, here it is. So you could select uh, a variety of decisions and options. And, you know, most of them ended pretty badly, to be honest. Uh, I remember having to play through it several times to get to the good ending. But, again, that goes right back to the whole 
sportsmanlike conduct of how you police yourself in solo gaming. In this case, there's no cheating, but, you know, inevitably you learn what doesn't work and you have a different experience each time you play it. So I think replayability was is a big thing in these, is that being able to play it and see a different outcome in Pick Your Own Path was its allure versus some of the fighting fantasy where it was uh, not only just what choices you made, but how well you rolled the dice and, you know, versus the monsters that you were facing. Um, one of the strange things as a side note of that is that there's a lot of miniatures for Lone Wolf that were made. And uh, some uh, I've noticed with some of the new uh, reissues that they have miniatures for the fighting fantasy series. And I kind of always scratch my head at that. Like, well, it's kind of cool to say, hey, this is what my dude looks like. This is my character. And, uh, yeah, it's fun to paint up some of the monsters. But if you're not really into painting miniatures, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I would see it as basically uh, getting a lot of replay value out of these miniatures because you could use them in a normal tabletop game, make up some stabs and stuff and have fun with that. But I guess that's a kind of a horse of a different color when it comes to miniature and solo gaming. You're almost getting it off into weird territory. So I, I just think I'd mention that. I think that a lot of people, when they remember their solo gaming days, like to think that, excuse me, that there's a, there was a lot of fun to be had, but in the end, you were still kind of left by yourself. I mean, you could try to retell it, but then uh, the the adventure you had to other people, and if they were really interested in, into that, yeah, they might in, have an enjoyable conversation, make some friends, but for the most part, you probably get asked to leave the restaurant when you're trying to talk to the clerk about your amazing solo quest adventure and through death trap dungeon where you managed to defeat the uh um lich at the end and you know you managed to kill him on your first try the guy can start this is a wendy's and ask you to move politely on or finish your order but i can't of course uh, there were groups that shared their experiences and would meet regularly which you know i um I guess the hope was is that a lot of these people who uh, made these games and wanted the ability to, hey, be able to play without a dungeon master through a kind of a pre-programmed uh, dungeon, which, let's face it, dungeon is kind of a railroad. You can either go left, right, or straight ahead, or open the door, or search for traps. You know, those are options. But if you wanted that maybe in the text, but if you it wasn't a part of the adventure you couldn't do it we're in even a dungeon environment where all your options are kind of scripted out anyway you just where you're at and how you choose to do it are your main factors of navigating through that those are your tools you can get inventive and do something different and like I find a barrel out of a storeroom and roll it down the passageway to see if there's any pit traps you know hey increased chance for wandering monsters and waste a lot of torch time but it's the job done, right? Um, that's not really available in these books. And I think that uh, while there's a certain level of teaching going on in these um, early introductory adventures in some of like the D&D set that uh, Jason mentioned, it also goes to say that there's a lot going on with the idea that you only have a certain amount of options available to you. 
and it's what the programmer puts in, much like the uh, text adventures we talked about. In any case, um, it allowed people to get used to the game and get a feel for it. And if I think it was did that and got people together in these fan clubs talking about their fighting fantasy adventures, um, you know, so much the better. But it, uh, it, a certain core of me is like, hey, you know, if you're getting together and meeting regularly to share adventures of your fighting fantasy, hey, how about breaking out a copy of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and, you know, let that take over. But, you know, it's also the fact that it's convenient. You don't have to have a game master. You don't have to have a regular group. You can do it on your own time, especially if you have a weird schedule or it's really hard for you to get to a central area to play. Maybe you live in the countryside. I think that's probably a big factor that made people, as Jason said, really look back to those days fondly. So, all right. Well, I guess I'm going to get cleaned up here. Pretty much uh, picked up everything. So, yeah. Um, solo gaming. Take two, I guess. But uh, hope you enjoyed. And uh, I see he left a link for uh, Pick Your Own Passing coming on. I'm kind of thinking about uh, jumping in on that one. And also a shout-out to Dan Simona of Wizard Tower Games here in Battle Creek. Uh, he funded his D20 delving. And speaking of times when your uh, DM isn't able to show up or you're short a few players, that's fully funded now. And uh, so it looks like that's going to be uh, happening. So if you haven't uh, jumped onto the new restart of it, get out there, put your pledge in, get yourself a copy, and uh, yeah, support a local uh, friend. So Don's a great guy, and this will be out in November, according to him. So looking forward to it. All right. So that's going to do it. We're going to wrap it up here, close the doors. I'm going to lock the Set the locks this time. Make sure that uh, nobody creeps in while I'm out. So hopefully you all are having a good time and stay safe out there. We'll see you later.